Greetings and good afternoon from Jerusalem. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are around the world. For me, it's actually morning. I'm here in Texas um, visiting my mother who's not doing well, but excited to hear um, the president of the International Christian Embassy, Dr. Jürgen Bueller, as he's going to be bringing a message to us about the importance of the resurrection. And as I mentioned, I'm here in Texas visiting my mother um, because she's in the last days of her life. And last night I had a very special time with her as I just read through with her and talked through 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where Paul makes some amazing statements. If there is no resurrection of the dead, we are of all people, we Christians, the most to be pitied. And yet death is the final enemy to be defeated by Jesus. He's defeated him personally and became the first fruits of the resurrection. And all of us as disciples of Jesus are looking forward to the final resurrection when we will see that victory over death in our lives. And uh, even though this is, is a very important topic to me personally, I believe it's something important to all of you, our guests, and that uh, as Dr. Bueller shares this teaching, which he in our chapels at the Christian Embassy is giving us a little bit of a taste and a, a, a foretaste of what he's talking about, I believe the Holy Spirit will apply this to your heart that you will be empowered to understand the power of the resurrection, why it was so important for Jesus to be raised from the dead, and why we as believers look forward to that coming day when we will be all raised in him. And so uh, join me now in welcoming Dr. Jürgen Bueller. Jürgen, hello from Texas, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Shalom, Barry, and shalom, everybody. Chag uh, Sameach. We have here in Jerusalem still the last uh, day of the Passover celebration. Actually, tonight, uh, even though it's not Erev Shabbat, it's uh, Erev of the last holiday of Passover. As we all know from the book of uh, Leviticus, chapter 27, the Passover fe feast is a seven-day celebration. And the first day and the last day is a special Shabbat, a holy convocation, how the, uh, the Word of God calls it. And Barry, it's good to see you. I hope, of course, that uh, you would have more pleasant, a more pleasant occasion to visit your family back in uh, Colorado. But as you shared, the good side of it is that we all know where, uh, and you know for in particular where, uh, the future of your mother lays and that gives us great hope in particular on this uh, resurrection sunday i want to greet everybody who is joining us i see there are people from uh, malaysia joining us and i believe many other countries i do see there is uh, there are people uh, from sp french speaking brazil portuguese speaking countries and of course, many Spanish speaking nations, Taiwan, I see here. So welcome everybody on this uh, last day of Passover. And um, the content today, in a way, we had last week an amazing webinar where we could see that 
um, there's an amazing parallel between Passover and uh, Good Friday and the Passover lamb and the sacrifice that Jesus brought at the cross 2000 years ago. And today we want to speak about another aspect that sometimes is ignored in particular, in particular when you speak about the uh, Jewish roots of our faith. Um, a lot of people, of course, they came to an understanding of the uh, Jewish roots of our faith and they understand that when we celebrate Easter and when Jesus was together with his disciples on this last uh, communion or last supper with his disciples, he was, as a matter of fact, celebrating a Passover Seder with them. And many churches, thousands and thousands of churches around the world, I know they have been celebrating a Passover Seder uh, focusing on the identity of Yeshua, of Jesus being the Lamb of God. But there is another side to the Passover celebration in connection to the Hebrew festival that is equally important. And I would say if we don't understand that, we are missing a the most glorious part of the Passover story. And I want you to open your Bible in uh, the book of Acts. If you have your Bible with you, if you are taking notes, I do recommend you all, if you have a notepad at hand, uh, uh, if not, get yourself uh, a notepad and a pen. And please, uh, I'm going to share quite a number of scriptures today. I want you to open your Bible in Acts chapter 10, verse 39 to 40. Acts chapter 10, verse 39 to 40. This is a very uh, familiar story. It's a very historic story you can say and uh, this is um, a historic sermon that we find in the Bible and this is the Apostle Peter as he was sharing the very first sermon with Gentile Christians so this is the very first sermon that was shared in the New Testament with Gentile Christians. It's a very important message, therefore. It's a prophetic message where for the first time the gospel break broke through to the Gentile community. Uh, he was speaking in Caesarea, a city at the Mediterranean coast in Israel, and he was invited into the home of a Roman centurion. You could say uh, today you would call them the Roman occupation for forces. And he was invited there to speak. And this is what he said to them. And I'm reading from verse 39. Maybe for context sake, let me read a little bit earlier. This is Acts chapter 10, verse uh, um, 38. I'm reading up to verse 43. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with his Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we were witnesses of all this that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him up on the third day. And he made him appear, not only not to all the people, but to us who has been chosen by God as witnesses. If you read it in the book of, uh, in, in another letter of Paul to the Corinthians, he said there were up to 500 people that actually testified to the resurrected Christ. And we have been witnesses of that. 
And now he says something very interesting, interesting, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And I want to start this webinar with a word of prayer before we go into the word of God. Father, I thank you for this uh, very special celebration of uh, the Passover season here in Israel. Thank you for this Shabbat that is approaching in just a few hours here in the land of Israel. And we ask you that you bless this webinar, that you anoint my lips to share what is on your heart. And I ask for every listener on this call that you uh, enlighten and, and uh, revive every heart of every listener to see and to understand what the Spirit of God has to say to us. In the name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen. So again, as I shared, this was a historic uh, sermon that Peter was preaching uh, in Caesarea to the very first Gentile community. And he started this sermon by proclaiming the life story of Jesus, in particular the years of his ministry, how he was traveling throughout the country, doing good, cast, casting out demons, delivering, we say, we, we read here, everybody who was trodden down by devil by the devil and he brought a message of uh, of uh, deliverance to the people he brought good news to the people and uh, he says and then this jesus who we accompanied for three and a half years uh, he was put to death and after three days he was risen from the dead and for them, the apostles, and this is very important, that's why I was reading this passage to you, the resurrection truth of Yeshua was not the result of a uh, theological discussion. It was not the content of a confession of faith or that they gained by studying in a theological uh, seminary but the understanding of the resurrection of jesus christ was something that they believed with a hundred percent assurance of because they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection themselves that means they saw the resurrection the re resurrected one not just one but multiple times and they not only saw him and they heard him preach after he was resurrected but they very physically encountered him it says here in acts chapter 10 verse 41 uh, we were not only his witnesses but we ate and we drank with him after he rose from the dead and we remember the story as he was entering in this room the disciples were together uh, behind closed doors because of fear of the uh, romans that would come and look after them he was walking through those closed doors as the resurrected one and he was breaking the bread with them and eating with them we know the story of the two emmaus disciples that were walking down from jerusalem quite frustrated not understanding what is going on and jesus started to walk with them him. and as they reached their home they invited him in their home and they said as he was breaking the bread and blessing the, the the wine we understood that he is the anointed one that he was jesus the messiah and maybe peter when he was preaching this sermon here in with cornelius he might have remembered how he was up there in the sea of galilee the lake 
Kinneret, how we call it today. And they were once again out fishing there. Once again, it was a unsuccessful fishing trip. They didn't catch any fish. And uh, as they came back to the shore, there was Jesus, the resurrected one, waiting for them with a coal fire, with fish baking on them and freshly baked bread, and they ate together. So the resurrection was not the reasoning of some theological books that they uh, came to believe in, but the resurrection of Jesus was a very personal element that not only Peter, but all the disciples, all the apostles experienced. They have seen the resurrected one they ate with him they talked to him and even apostle paul uh, to him uh, he called himself as uh, somebody who was born at a late stage but even he himself had this appearance of the resurrected and glorified uh, messiah and they knew for sure this is not just a theological doctrine but they believed that uh, that with absolute certainty that there is a resurrection of the dead it's therefore no um, surprise that for the early disciples, the belief and the faith in the resurrection was uh, not just, as I said, a, a theological understanding, it, but it was the central message, the key message that they were sharing in the early church. I want you to open your uh, book, uh, uh, of the book of Acts, a few chapters earlier. If you read Acts chapter 2, in this very first message that Peter spoke, now not for a Gentile audience, but he was speaking during Pentecost in Jerusalem, to a purely Jewish audience. Um, he shared twice in this message about the resurrection of Jesus because it was such an amazing experience that really transformed their lives. It says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 24, Acts chapter 2, verse 24, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to to be held by it, to be held by death. And a little bit later on, he says, God foreknew about, knew him and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ. This Jesus God raised up, this Jesus God raised up of what we all are witnesses. So again, here they are witnesses of this resurrection. And then again in chapter 3, he says uh, in verse 15, chapter 3, verse 15, book of Acts, um, God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. Chapter 4, uh, the early disciples, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, they uh, proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And uh, again in this great, in the, in this, at the end of this chapter, chapter 4, verse 33, they gave were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great joy, great, great grace was upon him. And I could go chapter after chapter, wherever they preached, they testified about the resurrected one, that Jesus was risen from the dead and that he is alive today. So this was a core message that the early disciples were preaching. And then even in Acts chapter 23, uh, we read about um, that he was, uh, that, that, that Paul, he is now a prisoner, and he was seeing one of those Roman officers 
that was uh, uh, captivating him or that was uh, putting him into prison. And he says, Paul, why are you uh, a captive? Why did the people uh, take you into prison? He says, I'm standing here, here as a prisoner because of the hope and the resurrection of the dead. And he said this was the consequence of his preaching of the resurrected, uh, resurrection that he became a prisoner. Or you can say the other way around, he was imprisoned because of the proclamation of Jesus being raised from the dead. And this was not just a cause for persecution and a cause for uh, hatred, but people also mocked the early disciples. The best example, uh, they mocked them because of their hope for resurrection. The best example is most likely Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, where uh, Paul is uh, in Athens at the Areopagus, uh, the great place of discussion of the philosophers. It was a place that was established by the gods themselves. And now he was preaching the good news of Jesus. And we read here in Acts chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 13. And it says, The time of ignorance God now overlooked, but God commands now all the people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world, world in righteousness by a man who was appointed and who was given assurance by raising him from the dead. And then it continues, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked him. That means they listened to him as far as they preached uh, the resurrection of the dead. And then when he started to speak that the dead will be raised, that Jesus was raised from the dead, they said, this is impossible. We have enough of that. We are moving on. We don't want to listen to him anymore. It says some of them still stood and he want, they wanted to heal more. This became the first uh, core of the early church in the city of Athens. But you see here in Athens, the people mocked him. And you could have said, well, um, he should have known better that uh, this was the wrong place to speak about the resurrection of the dead because in the founding of Athens, I mentioned it, it was a city and a place, especially the Areopagus, that was established, they said, by the gods, by the Greek gods. The Greek tradition said that when this place, Athens, was established, their own god, Apollos, spoke to them with an audible voice. And he says, when you die, your blood will be uh, sinking into the earth, will be, uh, will be vanishing into the earth. And he says, and there is no Anastasia, there is no resurrection. When you die, your blood will just go into the earth and there is no hope of resurrection. In other words, the belief of the, those, this community at that time was that once you die, everything is finished and you're just in, in, uh, entering into a, a period of nothingness. So when Paul spoke about the resurrection, it caused a great uproar in the city of Athens. Now a few comments about the hope of resurrection that Peter was pre that Peter was preaching here or also later on Paul was preaching. We need to understand 
that the concept and the understanding and the knowledge of a resurrection of life after death wasn't an invention of the early church, but it was rooted deeply in Judaism and in, in the in the Tanakh and the Old Testament and the Bible uh, for many many centuries. We read even about Abraham, the beginning of the the early father of the Jewish people. Uh, the Book of Hebrews says to him that he was waiting for that city whose builder and architect was God Himself. That means. Abraham knew the first Jew you could say that there is not uh, everything finished here on earth but there will be a city a future waiting for him in the world to come and many of the prophets they testified about their hope of resurrection let me just read a number of you here in Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 uh, he says that at the end of the days many of those who fall asleep in the dust of the earth, they shall awake, some to everlasting lives and some to everlasting condemnation. Isaiah 26 verse 19, Isaiah 26 verse 19, Your dead shall live, their bodies shall raise, you who dwell in the dust, awake and sing of joy, uh, for your dew is the dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. That means they understood that the people of God will be resurrected one day, and they will glorify their Creator. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, this is a passage also that is quoted by, <coughs> excuse me, by Paul in the New Testament. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol, and I shall redeem them from the death. O death, where is your plague? O Sheol, where is your sting? Your sting? Compassion, compassion is hidden from my eyes. That means all those prophets, and I could give you more passages, they believed that one day the dead will be resurrected, and they understood that with the resurrection they are entering only in the ultimate destiny, in the what the Jewish people call the Olam Haba, the world to come. This is the hope that Jews have even until today, that there is a Olam Haba, a world to come, waiting for every Jewish person on earth, and that God would judge the people before we enter into this world to come. Now there is something else about the resurrection hope that the Jewish people are hoping. It's such a central aspect of Judaism, the hope of resurrection, it even comes down to the very national identity of the Jewish people, that they believe that even they as a nation, as an ent entity of people, there is even for them a resurrection hope. And we read about this most powerfully in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37 it's a passage that you all know where the hand of the Lord, it says here in verse 1, was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. That means he was taken by the spirit in a place in the spirit and what he saw was a gigantic valley that was filled and covered with hundreds of thousands if not millions of bone bones that were laying there in this valley it was probably a desert region and those those bones have been bleached white by the sun and then he hears the voice of the lord he says uh, tell me uh, prophet man of god son of man do you believe that those bones can live again 
And this must have been such a devastating, hopeless situation for the prophet. He doesn't dare to give an answer to the Lord. He says, my faith is not enough for this situation, Lord. Only in you know what is the future of them. And then the Lord says, you prophesy to those dead bones. In other words, there is nothing impossible for the Lord. And you prophesy over them. And he said, and he saw suddenly the mighty noise. You can imagine how the sound it must be of hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of bones coming together. And they were forming those skeletons and something else was taking place. Flesh and skin was covering them. But one thing was missing. There was still no spirit upon them. There was this gigantic army of people. They were staring at the prophet and no life was in them. And then the Lord spoke to him, he says, prophesy again, you prophesy to the spirit on the four corners of the earth and the south and the east and the west and the north. And you prophesy over those revived, over these regenerated bones where flesh and sinews and skin came upon them. And suddenly he saw that life entered into this army. And then the Lord was telling him here in Ezekiel chapter 11 and the following, and then then the Lord said to me, listen very carefully, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and I will raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your, that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live, hallelujah, and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it declares the Lord. What the Lord is, is telling us here is that there is a day where God will bring a national revival, a national resurrection of the dead to the whole nation of Israel. Now some commentary said this was uh, maybe how the prophet felt in the Babylonian empire. Maybe he felt there in Babylon like one of those dead bones which needs a fresh revival from the Lord, uh, a new national hope where he will bring them back in their lands. But very honestly with you, when I read these passages, when I read what I see here, I'm far more thinking back on the images that we all know from history book, where you saw those piles of dead body, of, uh, uh, of gas chambers and of, uh, of uh, mass executions from Auschwitz, from Sobibor and from Treblinka, and where Israel reached a place where Germany brutally murdered six million Jews and many in Israel said there is no hope for us anymore. We have come to the lowest point of our history and right in this time of darkness the Lord prophesied and he says I'm going to open your graves and you will return back to your homeland and just within three years it was in May 1948 a Polish Jew called David Ben-Gurion on a little village on the sand dunes of the, of, uh, uh, the Mediterranean 
coast. It was just a very fresh settlement. And there he declared the establishment of the state of Israel. And today the state of Israel is one of the most dynamic states in the world. This is indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it's resurrection from the dead that we are witnessing. And God prophesied that it will not just be individual resurrection, individual raising from the dead, but you as a whole nation will be resurrected. And that's why no coincidence, uh, coincidence, Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, verse 15, he says, if they are falling away, if their blinding already brought such a tremendous blessing to the whole world and to the nations, how much more will their acceptance be then life from the death? That means they will not only experience as a nation the resurrection power of God, but he says, once they will experience this revival, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit that so many prophets are speaking about, he says, this will release a new wave of resurrection power for human mankind. And there are so many theories and theological uh, answers what this could mean. Um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon himself who no it was John Wesley who says says some people means this meal will be a revival that will cover will be going all over the world it means Jesus maybe some say coming back it means maybe then the the dead will be raised here on earth uh, Wesley said it will be such a glorious moment I believe all of that is true and I believe the best times of humanity are waiting for us because God is going to raise up spiritually not just physically the whole nation of Israel. And that's, I believe, a, a very good news I have to, uh, to share with you today that the, this resurrection power that we celebrate on Easter, it's so much ingrained in the Jewish people and in their faith and in their hope. Now, there is another connection that I want to share with you about Passover. And, um, you know, we, we know and you learned this last week at the webinar with Malcolm Heading about the parallel parallelism between the Passover lamb and Jesus hanging on the cross, how he was the perfect lamb that was slain for the sins of this world. And during this Passover week, something else was taking place. If you go in Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23, I do encourage you to read the entire chapter because this speaks about the feasts of the Lord. Now, by the way, um, the feasts of feasts that we celebrate here in Israel, those feasts are in the Bible nowhere called. They are Jewish feast or Hebraic feast. The Bible calls them very simply. These are feasts of the Lord. That means God says, these are my feasts. I'm allowing you to tabernacle, to celebrate, to worship together with me. And they are also called Moedim, Moed. A Moed is an appointed time where God says, in a way, you, the, the, the literal tra translation is an appointed date. That means a, a calendar entry that you put in your calendar, like I had today for this webinar. There was a calendar entry that I need to be on Zoom uh, at four o'clock for the resurrection resurrection uh, webinar. So I had this date in my calendar. And you can say those moed, those feasts of the Lord, they are heavenly calendar entries where God says they are predestined time, 
predetermined time that God has with his people where he says, you can be sure on those days I'm going to be to meet with you for absolute certain. And that's why we also celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and so many people have been blessed by it. And Passover is another Feast of the Lord, another Moed where God says, I'm going to meet with you. And in the midst of this Passover week, there was another feast embedded into the Passover celebration. And we read about it here in Le Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, and you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. And again I read it, you shall wave the sheaf of the first fruits before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And uh, I could continue reading about that feast, what are the sacrifices, but let's stay uh, until here for the moment. What was taking place every year during the Passover celebration? There was uh, Erev Pesach. This was the day when uh, the uh, families in all the land were gathering together and having the Passover meal. The afternoon before they were slaughtering a lamb. This was the time when Jesus, Yeshua, was hanging at the cross, was slaughtered as the Lamb of the God of the world for the sins of this world, the Lamb of God for the sins of the world. He was put into grave. And then he, the Bible says he was for three days and three nights in the grave. Now, many Bible scholars believe that this might possibly mean that Jesus actually died on a Thursday evening, on a Thursday afternoon, uh, not on a Friday like we have it in the Christian celebration, and that he was for three full days in the grave. And then it says the day after the Sabbath, the day after the Sabbath, now, what day is that? In Israel, we call it it's the first day of the week. Sabbath is the seventh day. The first day after the Sabbath is the first day of the week. We call it here in Israel Yom Rishon, and that's where the working week in Israel starts. In a Jewish context, Sunday is not as a holiday, but this is the first uh, um, working day of the week. It was only later on by the Catholic Church was introduced as a new holiday in order to distance ourselves and distance the church. Sadly enough, they did this from the Jewish people. They invented a new holiday called Sunday. But on the first day of the week, the day after Sabbath, Sabbath, uh, the Bible says that the Lord was risen from the dead. And you read in Luke chapter 24, verse 1, it was the first day of the week. In the morning, the, the, uh, the women went to the, to the grave together with Peter and with John, and they wanted to open the, the, the stone, and they wondered who in the world is going to remove that stone away for us. And they were marveling when they discovered the stone was rolled away, the grave was empty, and they still didn't fully understand what it mean they were, uh, they were desperate they thought somebody has stolen the stolen the body of Yeshua and we read now the story of Mary Magdalene how she asked the gardener please tell us where did you put him and she didn't realize she was talking to Jesus and he just gave one word as an answer he says Mary 
And I just can see her face, how this desperate woman was turning around, was looking at Yeshua, and she realized that Jesus was risen from the dead. And what is important for us to understand, and the same morning, that very morning when the high priest was in the temple, was waving the sheaves of the first fruits of the harvest, when he was sacrificing the first fruit offering on this first day of the week, on this Yom Rishon in the temple, on that very morning, Yeshua was risen. Paul calls it in Colossians 1 verse 18. Colossians 1 verse 18. He calls Jesus the first fruit from the dead. Jesus the first fruit from the dead. So there was a sacrifice, the Passover lamb. Jesus became the Passover lamb that was slain for the sins of the world. There was the sacrifice in the temple, the first fruit that were waved before the Lord to make the people acceptable to the Lord. And on that morning, Jesus became the first fruit resurrected from the dead uh, in order to overcome death forever. Now I want to make a very brief uh, comment about the importance of the first fruit. Why is it important that a first fruit offering was given to the Lord? Um, in the time when we celebrate Passover here, uh, this is this week right now. Uh, those of you who have been at the global prayer gathering yesterday, they might have heard the report from me how I came back from uh, the Gaza envelope and how we were meeting with some of the communities. Now, this is the most warm harvest region in Israel. And there we saw already the, the harvest just a few weeks away, almost a week, maybe two weeks away, ready to be harvested. And we saw those cornfields, we were actually driving through them along the Gaza border, and we saw those fields, and the people there in Gaza, they were highly anxious that uh, they will not receive again those fiery balloons and, and fiery kites that would inflame uh, their harvest and destroy the harvest. But the harvest was there, uh, partially ready to be partially ready to be harvested, but we saw also many green, uh, uh, um, um, how do you say, many green uh, wheat uh, uh, twigs in those uh, in this harvest area. So it was just shortly before it really could be harvested. And that means the priests, they took a piece of this too early to be harvested field and they brought them into the temple. Some of the twigs might still have been have been a crane, and they waved them before the Lord. Now, why would they do it? Uh, Paul gives us an answer for that in Romans chapter 11, verse 16. He speaks here about the people of Israel. Romans chapter 11, verse 16. Romans 11, 16, he says, So if the dough offered as first fruit is holy, say it again, if the dough offered as first fruit is holy, so is the whole lump. If the roots are holy, so are also the branches. That means, in the understanding of the people of Israel, sacrificing the first fruits of your harvest, in a way, you are dedicating, you are sanctifying the entire harvest for the rest of the year. You are telling the Lord through that in a way, says, Lord, whatever you bless me with this year, I want to make, I want to have it crowned for your glory. It belongs to you. You have given it to me. And here I'm bringing a representation of the entire harvest, dedicating it to you as a first fruit. 
And that's why the first fruit is so important. I remember in the church of my father in Germany, we had a young engineer who just finished his study studies. He received a well-paid position in a company in our town where he was serving as an engineer. And once he received this uh, position, uh, he came to my father and gave him an envelope and it contained the entire month's salary, his first salary that he made as an engineer. He just was freshly married, his wife was pregnant, they for sure could have used the money in many different ways, but he says, I want to give the first fruit of my income to the Lord because I'm, I realize I'm dependent on the blessing of the Lord. And maybe there are some people today, maybe this is your first week somewhere in work, and I want you to consider and pray about it. Why don't you give a first fruit offering to the Lord, recognizing whatever you give in uh, whatever you receive from the Lord, it is a gift that the Lord is given to you. And what can we do better than returning a first fruit offering back to the Lord? Uh, go to your pastor, to your congregation, and put a special gift maybe this coming Sunday as a first fruit offering to the Lord. Of course, we are also glad uh, to receive any first fruit gifts here at the embassy for the work that we are doing uh, here in Israel. But why don't you use this opportunity of the week of the first fruit to give this first fruit offering to the Lord? Now, there was a special blessing on the first fruit. Um, the first fruit, there was a preeminence on the firstborn in the nation. If you read the Passover story, he says, I'm going to bring judgment on all the firstborn in Israel, everybody who was breaking through as a first child through the womb of the mother. In Egypt, it meant that uh, judgment was brought upon the first fruits, indicating that the whole nation, again, it's the same principle, the whole nation is under the judgment of God. And then also we saw that the first fruit in Israel was delivered whenever he saw the blood of the lamb at the doorposts. The firstborn of the family was delivered, meaning that the blood of Yeshua is a saving blood for the entire family. It's saving everything that we have. And that's why I encourage everybody, and I keep speaking about this in many sessions, to have the faith of Joshua, where you say and declare prophetically over your family, me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That you have faith that as you dedicate the first fruits to the Lord, that he will bring blessing to your entire family because he's a household saving God. And there is something which is even, the, the Bible speaks in Numbers chapter 15, verse 17, and Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17. I give you three passages, please read them at your leisure at home. It's in Numbers 15, verse 17, Deuteronomy 21, verse 17, and Numbers 3, verse 12. You read that there is a special calling upon the first fruit, that uh, the people even is called to bless him with a double blessing. And, um, and David in Psalm 89, he says, I will make you the firstborn of the nation. That means I give you a position of preeminence, like Jesus was the first fruit of the dead. In a way, he was representing everybody after him that would receive new life in Yeshua, would be born again and would receive the Holy Spirit in them. George Jesus was the one who broke through, broke through for us as the first fruit from the dead. And that's uh, just a few comments on the firstborn.
Now, in closing, I want to bring one more thought. Of course, when Peter, and I want to come back to this original passage, how we started in Acts chapter 10. You remember Peter was speaking at the house of Cornelius, and he was preaching this uh, first historic uh, sermon to the, uh, to the uh, Roman centurion. Let me just open it also here on my iPad that I can read it to you. He was preaching this first sermon to the centurion, and uh, he says, This Jesus, God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he made him appear, not, only, not to all the people, but to us who has been chosen. And we ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We spoke about that. And then something quite interesting. And he says, This Jesus, he commanded us what to preach. That means it's quite interesting. Jesus told the early disciples, if you go out to the nations, that's the message I want you to preach. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness for, uh, for their sins through their name. And this is so important for us. You know, they are, like we said, spoke in the beginning, says, unlike what the Greek philosophers or some of the Greek philosophers might have said, that after death everything is finished. And many people believe that today, that once you die, um, you just cease to exist. It's important to understand and inform people that after people die, they will have to give accountability to God about their lives. And when I'm sharing this story to you, I'm reminded on, you know, even, you know, here, that's quite a, the passage that, that we read here in Romans 1, you know, this was quite a maybe provocative message to this Roman centurion. Well, this Roman centurion, he was the occupying, for, occupying force. We know the Roman army, they caused much bloodshed in many areas where they occupy, were occupying their territory. And uh, this might have been a reminder and maybe a provocation could have been perceived as a provocation by this Roman centurion where he says, well, you remember that even after you die, uh, one day you will need to give accountability over what you did here in this land as a Roman soldier. And it was a very lively reminder for him. And it reminded me on a, on a story in our own life when um, I visited my uncle was the first visit I, I the last visit I had with him before uh, he went into eternity. He was a very wonderful believer and man of God. He was sharing this story. Actually, he told it to us many times. He was sharing again to us this story about our grandmother, his mother, the mother of my father. Uh, both of her two sons of my grandmother. They both become pastors and preachers. And he was sharing with us the story how our grandmother, during the time of Adolf Hitler, she was helping the Jewish people that were living around her. There were Jewish neighbors beside her. Uh, she was doing the grocery shopping and some other things for them to help them. And she was also a devout believer, sharing with everybody her faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Gestapo and the police uh, many times warned her, says, don't do this. This is forbidden in Germany. 
And uh, one day he says it was knocking at our door. My uncle reported that. And he says he was just standing behind the, the door. He was still a young teenager. And he heard the Gestapo man knocking at the door and talking to his mother, my grandmother. And he said, Miss Bühler, if you don't stop doing what you are doing, helping Jews and sharing those tracts and these messages with other people, we might as well put you in concentration camp. And he says, I never forget what our mother said to this man. She turned to him, his name was Schmidt, said, Mr. Schmidt, please let me tell you, you have an eternal soul. And one day you will have give accountability to God what you have been doing here in our land. The man turned pale, my uncle said. He turned around and he was walking quickly away. He never came back. But when we read this passage here, it's not just speaking about some evil Nazi soldiers or Gestapo or SS officers which one day will be judged by God. But it speaks also about you and me, that every human being, every person, everyone on this call today, one day we need to give accountability before the creator of the heavens and the earth. The book of Job tells us that Job said when we will stand before him, we will not be able to give him out of thousand questions even one answer. We will be so embarrassed when we look back, at, back about our lives, how evil and how godless we were living on this earth. And you might say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not such a, an evil person and I'm not somebody who really did uh, many bad things. But let me read what Paul writes to the church in Rome. And he writes this to a community of both Jews and Gentiles. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all, he says, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under the sin. This is Romans 3, verse 9 and the following. As it is written, and now he's quoting, uh, I believe, seven or eight passages from the book of Psalm and from different prophets. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands and no one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They all have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He's quoting King David in one of the Psalms that he was writing. And then he, could, he goes on, I will not read all that passage, but he concludes at the end. He says, he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And I read here in verse 33, for all have sinned, no matter if you are Gentile or if you are Jew, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are justified by the gray, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, who God put forward by, as a propitiation by his blood uh, to be received by faith. Now, one thing that Paul here says, number one, he says, every man on this world is a sinner. Every man in this world has fallen short on the, on the glory, on the standard that they should have before God. You might say about yourself, well, I'm not such a bad man. But I speak about, you know, the unfaithfulness to your partner, maybe. Maybe the way how you are treating your family. Maybe those bursts of anger, how you are hurling people around you. Maybe this dishonesty towards your own government and tax authority, where you th think nobody is watching you if you are changing the numbers. 
The Bible says we all are sinners and we all have far fallen short of the glory that we should have with God. It's impossible for us to meet the standards of God. And the good news, and with this, uh, Peter was finishing his message. He called, called us, he commanded us to preach that he is the appointed judge about, over the living and the dead. But he says also, and this is the good news, the gospel, the, 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 the good spell, how it was called in ancient times. To him all the prophets bear witness, Jesus, that whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And that's the power of the resurrection story and the crux of the resurrection story that I want to share with you today is that Jesus died for our sins and with that he's willing to give us eternal life. Jesus puts it like that in John chapter 6 verse 47. John chapter 6 verse 47. Truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me has eternal life. That means, like Barry just said in the beginning, I know where my mother will be because she put her faith in Jesus. That means this woman has eternal life, not because Barry told her so or some theology, theology, theology books are telling her, but because Jesus himself, the Messiah, said, if you put your trust in me, you will have eternal life. John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet he shall live. And I want to, to wish this resurrection hope, everybody on this call today. And maybe let me just pray for you. If there's anybody on this call who doesn't have this resurrection hope in him, who can't say with the full assurance, like Barry is so convinced about his mother, that she will be in eternity with the Lord. If you don't have this insurance, I wish everybody on this call will not go away without having this hope in your life. Let me tell you, you know, I experienced this year years ago when I was on the deathbed in a hospital in Germany, how I felt maybe for the first time in my life this confidence that if I would die on this hospital bed to after the operation, I knew that I knew that I knew where I was going to. And I wish the same assurance and security to each one of you. And Father, I do ask you for everyone on this, on this Zoom call and this webinar today that we experience the power of your resurrection, that we experience this truth, that you have truth, that you have, uh, have died for our sins, that you are the first fruit of the dead, and that you want to take many, many a great harvest of people with you in eternity to be for eternity with our Father in heaven. And ask you for everybody on this call who might not now have this assurance themselves. Father, I ask you that as they reach out to you, as they say, Lord, please help me. Lord, please save me. Lord, forgive my sins. As they call upon you, that even from this um, a week after Easter, that you give them this eternal hope of salvation, that they know that their names are inscribed in the book of life. I ask this in the powerful and in the mighty name of Yeshua. God bless you and bury back to you. Amen, amen. Jürgen, thank you for that. And thank you for closing in prayer for those who might not have yet said yes to Jesus. Um, that was actually on my heart listening to you. And just one final word to you. Remember what Jürgen said about the first fruits. 
if the Lord is stirring you to give a first fruits to ICEJ, to your local church, to some other work of the Lord, step out and obey. That's a part of repentance. It's changing and obeying. And we know the Lord will honor that and bless that. So from ICEJ, from Jerusalem here in Texas, we wish you shalom as we go into this final holiday of Passover. And may you know the peace of Jesus in your heart. No matter what we're going through here on earth, there is a heavenly expectation. That which is sown in corruption, we will reap in incorruption. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next Thursday at 4 p.m. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media pages for more exclusive ICJ content.